My name is Brandon. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, let's talk Colossians. Um, all of us in this room, uh, every one of us in this room are defined by a story, right? There is a narrative arc to our lives. And if we're honest, some of us in this room, uh, this story, this narrative arc of our life is why we feel a bit superior, right? Because the narrative arc of my life uh, has been one of success, right? I was kind of a bad A academically and athletically and professionally, and I did say bad A, did I not? I didn't mean to. I shouldn't say that. Roll that back. Um, but it's one of success, right? It's also why um, some of us in this room, the, the, the story of our life is that we feel a bit inferior, right? The, the narrative arc of my life is one that's more of I just never measured up. Like I was always the outsider wanting to be the insider and never really measured up. And what our text is going to say today is whatever your story, inferior or superior, what Jesus does is he enters into that story and he redefines the story. And so the way that Paul closes the letter of Colossians is with a list of names, but hidden, hidden inside that list of names are three redefined stories. The story of redemption, story of reconciliation, and a story of hope. Let's start, story of redemption. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. All right, let's stop right there. Tychicus, here's what we know about him, uh, that he was a native of Asia Minor and he joined up Paul along the way and that, and that we know that he was a free man. And then there was Onesimus, Onesimus who was a converted slave. And so Paul opens this list of names with a free man and a slave, the two social categories of the Roman world, the two social classes are cast in the Roman world, free man, slave, and Paul applies the same affectionate term to both of them, beloved brother. My, hey, a free man, my, our beloved brother, the slave, our beloved brother. And Paul didn't have a higher degree of affinity for the free man. There's certainly, uh, certainly one was from a higher class than the other and one was from a lower class than the other and Paul didn't treat him that way. He has no more affection or affinity for the free man than he does the slave. They are both beloved brothers. And I think if we follow Paul's lead here, we might be able um, to draw something out for our community that I think we actually do incredibly well. I think that as a community at Sojourn, man, if you are rich or poor, if you make seven figures or you're homeless, this is a community where you are welcomed and we don't value one family member over Another, but it's not just rich or poor, uh, it's also hipster and yuppie. Um, I know it sounds funny, but in the city we have social castes, do we not? Do we not? The hipsters are like, man, you yuppies are just so fake, and yuppies are like, y'all should use an alarm clock. And, <laughs> and I think it's Sojourn, we're a community that if you wear a sweater over a button-up, or you roll your jeans up to your knees. <laughs> My bad. 
This is a safe community. We are a welcoming, I was trying to make a serious point there. Here's the point. I think we do this well. I think that we are a welcoming, inviting community that breaks down the social caste that exists in the city. But Paul has more to say about these two men. Uh, I didn't read all of verse 9, so let me read the last sentence. They, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. The word they, fancy thing here in the Greek, it means they, uh, which implies implies that they were co-laborers. What Paul didn't say was, hey, hey guys, hey, listen up, the free man, he's going to come and fill you in, but don't worry, he's got a slave to, to, to carry his bags. They were co-laborers in the kingdom, but there is no social caste in the kingdom of God that Jesus died so that his grace could penetrate both rich and poor, slave and free. And when Jesus enters in and redefines the story of the one percenter and the refugee, there is no longer the standard social cultural lines of superior and inferior. They become beloved brothers who are co-laborers in Christ. And when the church, rich and poor, slave and free, live as family, we show off the glory and beauty of Christ in a unique and powerful way. The story of redemption redefines social classes and brings them together as beloved brothers, which takes us to the second story, the story of reconciliation, verse 10. That's a tough one there. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, that's the way. None of y'all know either. My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision, that means the Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. In this list of names right here, Paul gives six people, three Jews, three Gentiles. Jews, the people of God in the Old Testament, Gentiles think everyone else. And in those days, there was a real divide, a divide that was both cultural and racial. There was a division here, and when Jesus showed up, he broke down barriers that divided humanity for thousands of years. There's a really famous story about Jesus and this woman at the well. It comes out of John 4, uh, where Jesus goes up. He's a Jew, and he initiates a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and that for 400 years, Jews and Samaritans had hated one another. And I'm going to let a theologian here tell you why that is. While the Jews had kept their racial purity during the Babylonian captivity, the Samaritans had lost theirs by intermarrying with Assyrian invaders. To, the, to Jewish eyes, this was unforgivable. So in short, the Jews saw themselves as a pure race. Like, we've been taken over by the Babylonians, but listen, man, we held firm, we kept our ground, we didn't blend. Um, Samaritans, you guys did. So you are now an impure race. You're kind of a half-breed where we are not. And so what happens is if we engage with you and we interact with you, we become defiled like you have become defiled. And watch what Jesus does. John 4, 7, a woman, this is the story I was telling you about. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
Now, who initiates the conversation? Jesus or the woman? That's for y'all to answer. That's right. That's right. Jesus initiates with the woman. Jesus moved toward her. And if we are going to be a people like Jesus, that means we are a people who move toward people who are not like us. It means that we are willing to cross the bridge and engage in a relationship with people who are not like us. We should, as Jesus did, be the ones who initiate relationship with people who are not like us, Jesus being the positive example, but there's also a negative example in the scriptures where withdrawing from people not like me gets rebuked. Let me read it to you. Galatians 2, 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What he stand condemned of? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, they drew back and separated himself. He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. That's the Jews. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And what's happening is Peter is eating with some Gentiles. He's a Jew eating with Gentiles. Jews show up and he withdraws. He says, no, no, I can't. I can't eat with you. You're not like me. And Paul, the author of this, calls that a gospel hypocrisy. That to withdraw from people who are not like me because the perception of other people who are like me is a, according to Paul, hypocrisy. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Might not be. I think it is. If it's not, it should be. It is natural. It is natural to gravitate toward people like ourselves, is it not? It's normal and it's natural. It is natural to instinctively and innately gravitate toward people who are like me, who, who are from the same ethnicity as me, who are from the same educational background as me, who make generally the same income as me. But here's the thing, the gospel is unnatural and it creates unnatural people who do unnatural things. And I think Jesus would say to us, hey, Sojourn, if you want to be a people like me, you need to be a people who are willing to engage and initiate relationship with people who are not like yourself. And I think that's a blanket statement for all of the church. It's pretty applicable to us. But racial and cultural reconciliation is not the only kind of reconciliation in this text. There's also a relational reconciliation that when Paul wrote the letter, Mark was with him, but with Paul and Mark, there's a backstory. The backstory goes like this. Mark left Paul. Paul said, hey, I don't want Mark with me. And then 12 years later, real division had been healed. That when he's writing this letter, Mark is with Paul, comforting him in prison. Here's what we know from the narrative of these two. Um, we know that reconciliation requires time and it requires relationship. And relationships that require reconciliation or need reconciliation they require a, what I'm going to call a vulnerable effort. And so we live in a day, uh, in a day, modern, uh, a time and a place where transparency, authenticity, that's kind of the, the, the street cred, right? Like he's real, he's not, she's real, she's not, just so phony, so fake. Um, and what we usually mean by vulnerable is this. We mean that I'm willing to let you see who I am. Like I'm willing to just be honest, let you see who I am. But here's the reality. 
the reality is, um, if we're not willing to change, we're not willing to listen to people speaking into our life to the degree that we change, our letting people see me, it's just noise. Like, it's just noise. It's just you saying, hey, I'm authentic, look at me. But let me tell you what, what a gospel kind of reconciliatory vulnerability looks like. It looks like I'm willing to listen and understand and let you speak into my life to the degree that I might be willing to change even if I don't fully see it the way you do. It means that I'm willing to open up myself and let you speak into me to the degree that I change in areas that I'm not sure I need to change in. It means that I'm willing to listen. And when we do, when we do, when we put this kind of both racial, um, cultural, relational reconciliation uh, on display, we become this community who makes the gospel visible, who makes the reconciliation of Christ visible. And in our communal life, we say that Jesus died for his enemies. And in our communal life, then we say, Jesus doesn't give up on us, and I'm not giving up on this relationship until it's reconciled. So what then can we do? As a church, as a community, as a people, what can we do to take active steps um, toward valuing and deepening our value of both cultural, um, racial, and relational reconciliation? I'm going to tell you one thing that we can do. Um, One thing that we can do is we can deepen our theology of the communion table. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 10, 17, talking about communion. It says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Listen, if we are one body because there is one bread, then what that means is there's no room for cultural and racial division at the table. There's no room at the table for unreconciled relationships. There's no, there's no room at the table to say, um, hey, there's, there's an unreconciled relationship over here, and I just don't care about it. There's no room for saying, hey, my culture is superior and yours is inferior, not if we're one body. There's no room at the table for unreconciled relationships. And so I'm going to read to you another quote. It's not going to be up here because I added it last minute. Um, And it comes from a theologian. He works here. His name is Drew Knowles. Brilliant. Um, Among many things, the table is meant to fortify our relational and racial and cultural reconciliation. We simply cannot partake of this meal together and then leave this place and harbor anger or hatred or bitterness in our hearts. The meal demands that we reconcile, and this meal produces reconciliation. That when we come to the table, the table is a continual retelling of the story of redemption and reconciliation, which takes us to the third story, the story of hope. Verse 15 Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And this letter has been read among you. Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And so what is Paul's hope for this community? What is Paul's hope for the Colossian community as we, as we land the plane on this series? What does he want? He wants them to be a people who live the letter. 
He wants people just to read it, dissect it, understand it. He wants them to be a people who go and live the letter, who would, along with Archippus, fulfill the ministry that the Lord has given him. And so what Paul might say to us as we leave the book of Colossians, what might he say to us? He might say this, go live the letter. Go, go sojourn, go live the letter. Be a people, be a community who are known for two things, redemption and reconciliation. Be a community who doesn't value one kind of people over another. Be a people who display racial, cultural, relational reconciliation. That there is a story of redemption being written. And what if that story was this? The redemption and the reconciliation of Jesus. What if that story that was being written looked like this. Hey, these people are so weird. They're so different, and yet they want to live near one another. They want to actually put down roots and be with one another. What kind of visibility and substance might that give the redemptive story of Christ in us and through us? And I know there are some of us in this room who hear that and go, man, I'm, I've been in for that like years. Like, what are you, what are you talking, I'm, I'm in. And some who are like, man, I've been here like three weeks, Brandon, and I still don't know about you, but I like the music, and the people are real nice, and um, and I want you to know, let me, let me tell you, you're invited to so much more. You're invited to so much more. You're invited into this broken family where we navigate the life uh, of, in a fallen world together as a family, a beautifully diverse little family. Not nearly as diverse as we want it to be, but we're praying for that. And then I know there's another group of people in the room who, uh, who, who are saying, hey man, listen, I, you... Like, I'm here, I, I came, and, but I, I don't belong here, man. Like, I just, I just don't. Like, I don't belong in this room right now. If you knew my life, if you knew my past, if you knew the headache I have from the amount of beer I had last night, you would know that I don't belong in this room. And there is one little word in the next verse, in the last verse of the book of Colossians that says, you're wrong, you're wrong. Verse 18, I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. If you don't know the story of Paul, let me tell you the snapshot of the story of Paul, educated Jew who was giving his life to ending the Christian movement, who would go to rooms like this. They probably didn't have lights and, and microphones back then, but rooms like this, and would drag followers of Jesus off to at best be imprisoned, at worst be stoned. And one day while he's walking down the road, maybe south on 45, getting away from Dallas, as he's coming down here, as he's coming down here, Jesus intervenes. Jesus shows up and all of a sudden, in a flash, redefines the story of Paul's life. And says, hey, Paul, there's room at my cross for you, man. And if there's room at the cross for a murderer like Paul, there's room at the cross for you. There's room for anyone in this room there's no one in this room who's so far gone that the grace of God can't run you down. Don't you dare insult the cross of Christ so much to say that it's not sufficient for you. Don't you dare say that. There's a thing following Paul to the cross, following Paul to the cross where Jesus experienced alienation so that you could have redemption. Following Paul to the cross doesn't mean that the circumstances of your life that have led you to search for Jesus might change. What's the last thing that Paul said, or not the last thing, but next to the last thing? Remember my chains. 
Remember my chains. Listen, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that for those of us who have said, hey, man, my chips are in the middle with Jesus, and for you who are considering following Paul to Christ, there's no guarantee that the circumstances of your life will change. Tim Keller, my hero daddy in the faith, not really, but just a hero in the faith, quoting him. Listen, what, what Christianity doesn't promise is better life circumstances. What it promises is a better life. You know what? Chains might be in the future for us, and we have Christ. A lot of brokenness might be in our future, and we still have Christ. What if we, what if Sojourn is a community of men and women who 20 years from now when we're drinking good coffee and talking about all that the Lord has done, what if we're a community known for two things, redemption and reconciliation? The redemption of our neighbors coming to know Christ and having their life changed by him and the reconciliation of cultures, races, and relationships. It won't be easy, but the effort is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I thank you for this group of men and women in this room. Thank you that we, we can be a community wrestling through the brokenness of life, fighting to see redemption and reconciliation that take place. May we be people willing willing to move toward people who are not like us, that we might more fully display the reconciliation and the redemption that's found in Christ. May we deepen our hope in what's happening when we come to the table, that we might see that where relationships are unreconciled or where we have embraced a subtle form of withdrawal from people not like us, that there's no room for that at the table. May we be willing May we be willing to engage in what's difficult for the sake of what's glorious. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.